Let me invite you to take your Bibles and join us in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Gospel of John, chapter 6. We want to consider one of the most uh, prominent passages regarding the life of Christ in the New Testament. The beginning of John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes a boy's lunch and multiplies it and feeds thousands. 5,000, by the way, is the number of men. There is no biblical record for how many women there would have been or children. So there many estimates range north of 15 to 20,000 were actually fed. Nonetheless, we are grateful for that miracle. Interesting, there are a few of Jesus' miracles that are recorded in all four of the Gospels, but the feeding of the thousands is recorded in all of them. So it's not a small thing. On the heels of that, Jesus uh, has had a, obviously a strenuous day, and uh, his disciples uh, get in a, a boat, and they are going to make their way back across the Sea of Galilee, and uh, in the middle of the night, Jesus comes uh, walking uh, uh, past them, as it were, and uh, the sea is rough and so forth, and they uh, welcome him into their boat, and he calms the sea, and it's a great miracle of not only his walking, but him calming the sea, and all of that has occurred immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. That brings us today to verse 22, John chapter 6, because Jesus begins to teach about what constitutes true bread. True bread. I have often said, and I encourage you again to recognize this, that God has created our lives in such a way as to help us to think not only about our earthly lives, but to think about our heavenly lives. And he uses the metaphor of our earthly life again and again and again and again. For instance, thirst. There's no person who is oblivious to thirst. We all are thirsty. And God uses that metaphor again and again to encourage, to exhort, even to require us to understand, by virtue of our human thirst, what it would be like to really be satisfied, to finally be satisfied. And he encourages us, therefore, to thirst after that which fully satisfies us. Food. All of us know what it's like to be hungry. Some of us more than others. And God uses that. And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on. And these earthly experiences are simply springboards. One of the things that it's very difficult for those who do not believe the gospel, do not believe in eternal life, to understand that, in fact, our life is about more than these things because, in fact, that's all they have. They don't have what those who have eyes to see actually see. So as Christian people, we see things that they don't. We understand and believe things that they don't, and we are supposed to. So we're going to see that as we read this passage in John chapter 6. 
and it will help us as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning. So let's read. Beginning in verse 22, we'll read down through verse 40. On the next day, that would be the day after the feeding of the thousands, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. For those of you who don't understand the geography of the Holy Land, they went from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. That's what that means. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father." that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Well, I just want to make three points for our hearts this morning as we think about Jesus being the bread of life. And uh, I will allow this passage of Scripture to help us think well about these things. I want you to know, first of all, that every human struggles with the affairs of this world every human there is no distinction between those who are believers or unbelievers rich or poor male or female married or single uh, has no distinctions that we like to categorize people in this world uh, the the bible doesn't make such categorizations at all uh, basically the bible tells us we are all the same and we see that illustrated here you need to understand what's going on here. Notice uh, again, verse 22, that uh, the next day they, they, if you will, awakened and the disciples were gone. They had seen the disciples get in a boat, but they were not the main event. 
The fact that the disciples had left, so what? Jesus was actually the main event, so they didn't see Jesus get in the boat. They got up, Jesus was gone. So they decided to uh, go across the lake. I want you to notice another thing. Verse 23, the scripture says, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread. Other boats from Tiberias. Again, geography helps us here. Tiberias and Capernaum are on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The feeding occurs on the eastern side, so several miles across the lake. Now, what would happen? I thought about this yesterday morning. I was up early and was uh, over here at the gas station getting gas, filled up my pickup, 40 plus dollars. I remember when it was not that much. Uh, and then a, a U-Haul truck pulled up. Guy in a U-Haul was going somewhere, it was early. And I thought, well, I am glad that my 40-something dollars is not going to be what he's going to pay. He's going to fill that thing up and it's going to be a bunch. And then I had this moment where I thought, I wonder how many people would be here. It was about 6.30 or so. There was a, me and this guy in the U-Haul were the only ones there. And uh, I wonder how many people would be here if all of this was free. And the answer to that is there, there'd be a line, wouldn't there? In fact, I would have met some of you there. Have you ever thought about that? They're giving away $40 worth of gasoline, and you'll stand in a line for an hour. I mean, it's just crazy. The, the kinds of things that, that just, just motivate us. Some of you are not morning people, and you would still get up in the morning for free gasoline. The price we pay or don't pay really matters for things that are just, we're just going to run out. I mean, in a few days, maybe a week or two, we'll need another 40 plus dollars because we're just going to go right through it. There's no end to it, is there? But I want you to notice what happens here. Verse 23 says, other boats from Tiberias. That's the other side of the lake. Here's what happened. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and... That night, word gets back to folks across the lake. So the next morning, they're looking for Jesus. And not only the people who are there are looking for Jesus, but the folks from across the lake have heard about it. And now from Tiberias, they've come over to that side of the lake because they heard they were giving away free food. Free food. Now, you remember, there are no motorboats. You know how you get across the lake? You either row or you catch sail, you, you, the wind might blow you. Well, if the wind's not in your favor, and you'll recall that the night before, Jesus is the walking on the water situation here where the wind is blowing. The wind is coming off the Golan Heights. That's the northeast part of the lake, and it's blowing that way. So if you're coming from Tiberias, you're having to work against the wind. Now, I know enough about sailing to know that you can do that, and they knew enough about sailing that they could do that. But understand, it takes some effort. So if they're handing out free food over there, I'm going. And they do. But Jesus is not there anymore. So they have to get back in that boat and traverse all the way back the way they just came and to, to meet Jesus. Every human struggles with the affairs of this world. It seems that the concerns we have for this life are a common denominator between all people. We all care about food, shelter, clothing. We all care about having provisions for our lives, for our families. We all care about our security. We all care about our financial 
benefits and so forth. We all care about that. That's not wrong. That's not bad. That's not evil. That's not uh, irreligious. That's not a problem. But all people struggle with the affairs of this world. But we know as Christian people that this ultimately is not our destination. We know ultimately that no matter how many times we eat, we're going to be hungry again, and that there is a food that satisfies beyond what the world can, can offer. As Christian people, we know that this is not home, and we must contend with that day after day after day after day. I remind you, people ask me periodically, Brother Greg, why do you think God allows such suffering in the world? And I don't know the full answer of that, but one of those is to remind us that this place is not heaven and that God has promised far better. There is a method, if you will, to the fact that God allows us to live in a place that reminds us that there, because there is a better place, this, this is a, it, it, if you will, it deprives us of the ultimate joy of enjoying this. There's no matter how much good we've enjoyed in this life, We've had enough sorrow to know. Or we've had enough loss to know. And if we haven't yet, we will. We've had enough of that that we recognize that ultimately there, the news that there is something better is good news. If every day were a bowl of ice cream, if every day was, was all that you wanted, all that you needed, all that you could ever imagine, all that you could ever dream of, I would ask you, what would be the appeal to you of heaven? I would suggest to you there would be no appeal. But in fact, God has given us the sorrows of this life in order that he might remind us that heaven is true and that heaven is your reward for trusting and looking to Christ. But every human struggles with the affairs of this world. Let us know that God has determined that if we would turn away from those struggles but look to Christ, we would have a different viewpoint. That brings us to the second thing that we see, and we see it plainly in this passage, and that is that the people of God understand the gift of eternal life. We understand that there's more than just the free lunch or the free tank of gas or anything else that the world can afford us. Notice these phrases in verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Look at verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people understand that God offers eternal life, that in fact one day we shall move on from this life to a life that fully satisfies, finally satisfies that we won't ever be hungry again or thirsty again. None of us can imagine this life. We, or said a different way, all we can do is imagine this life because we don't know what that kind of life is. I cannot imagine a life where there is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sin. Neither can you. And yet, God has given us eyes to see we understand that Jesus is the bread of life, not the bread of this world. He is different than we experience in this world. This is the gospel, that if you would turn and look to Jesus, 
You would have true peace. You would have true hope. You would have true confidence in the life to come. And your hope would be fixed there, not in this life. The, the affairs of this life, the circumstances of this life, the material goods of this life are all temporary. Every last one of them. It doesn't matter how wonderful your assets are, how strong your earthly, if you will, kingdom may be. Eventually, it will come toppling down. You can't read the Bible and any other book that contains details history of man without recognizing that there, there's a story of, of again and again, a recurring story, and that is some guy decides to be king. He is king, and he's king for a season, and then he's no longer king. And the reason he's no longer king is because some other guy decides to be king and goes to battle against him and defeats him. And so the second guy is now king, and he thinks, well, he's going to just be king forever. And in fact, he's not because eventually Eventually, there'll be a third guy, and a fourth guy, and a fifth guy, and none of us will last forever in this world. Nothing in this world will last forever. So if we build our little kingdom of stuff in this world, I promise you, one day our children will sort through it, and our grandchildren will spend it. And they'll do so gleefully. Be careful that you don't put your treasure in things of this world because those who have eyes to see look to Christ, hope to, in Christ, and build their house not on sinking sand but on the rock who does not move. That brings us to the third thing, and this is the point, is the main point of this section, and that is that for those who do not believe, who do not, if you will, do the work that God requires... Verse 27 is very clear. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Hear me. God believes in his Son. God has elevated his Son. There is only one celebrity with God, and that is his only begotten Son. And God has determined that the work of man that God requires of man is, he tells it plainly in verse 30, what sign, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, it was not Moses that gave, gave you the bread, but my father who gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. God's plan is to point everything to Christ. The book of Colossians says this plainly, that God has summed up all of his work in the person of Christ. And to reject Christ is to reject ultimately the, the, the work of God, the goal of God for your life. You cannot do that. Which brings us again to the third point. For those who do not believe the bread of life is not the bread of God. Now, in order to understand this, you've got to know a little Old Testament, but I want to show you this. Look again at verse 31. They say, our fathers, we, we need you to do a sign. You need to, you need to do something that shows us that you're the real McCoy, the, the, the one who's come from God. So you need to do a sign. Now, don't miss the irony of that. What did I just do yesterday? Yesterday, I mean, and you, you guys were there because you followed me across the lake today. 
You guys were there. We took a boy's lunch and we fed thousands. But that's not good enough, apparently. You're looking for a sign. You want something other than that. All right? So they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Well, glad you brought up bread because I'm the true bread. And he's, he's going to build upon that and he's going to rebuke their understanding of what happened with Moses. So in order for us to understand that, we, we've got to do a little understanding ourselves. So think with me for a moment about this story of Moses. The, the encounter occurs in Exodus 16. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I, I will turn there with you or for you. Exodus chapter 16. You may remember the story. They've, they've crossed the Red Sea and they are hungry. Verse 10 of Exodus uh, excuse me, Exodus 16, uh, verse 1. They set out from Elam, all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So they've been gone a few weeks. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, and now I want you to see what they said. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now, don't miss that. Is it better to die in Egypt or is it better to die in the wilderness? Now, you would say, and I would say, because we're all children of this life, is it better to die in a dark alley being mugged? Or is it better to die in your old age in your sleep? And you would say, is that really a question? Of course that's not a question. It's obvious. The answer is inherent there. Nobody wants to die being mugged in an alley. And yet, that's their question. Would that we had died in Egypt rather than have to follow you around in the wilderness? And why is Egypt better? And the answer is because we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, I don't know what that exactly looks like, and I'm guessing all the people who do are dead, so the rest of us are just going to have to imagine that, but I can imagine that these slaves, and that's what they are in Egypt, they're slaves, were well-fed. The Egyptians understood that they needed to take care of their work crew, and so they fed them well. So at mealtime, they had plenty to eat meat pots and bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger in other words their whole their whole agenda was to live and die comfortably live and die with what the world could give them live and die without regard to what god has for them Live and die without regard 
for any so-called life to come. The life to come can't be trusted. The life to come isn't believed. The life to come is not my life. I don't accept that. I reject that. The life to come pays, it has no bearing whatsoever on my life here. So all that matters to me is that I have meat and bread, and here I am in the wilderness, and I have neither. So you'll note that God's not real keen on their response. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, so forth. So that's precisely what happens. If you jump down to verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. Quail. In the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, that is the water had evaporated, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. So the manna is not prepackaged bread, but rather is bread that's on the leaves or the ground, and they had to scrape it up. When the people who saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. By the way, that's what we would say too, right? Never seen manna. Nobody had ever seen manna. Manna didn't exist as far as we knew. And Moses said, it is the bread the Lord's given you eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And you know that God gave them these provisions. All of which brings us to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Numbers, chapter 11. Another time of complaining. Verse 1, Numbers 11. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, the rabble that was among them, the rabble, you know who those people are? That's the gripers who will not be satisfied. That's the grumblers who will not be quiet. That's the disappointed who will not be appeased. The rabble who could not see what God was doing. So the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. And here's another story of their time in Egypt. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. We were on a roll till we got the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna. <laughs> you ever notice how we get so bored with God? Easy to get bored with God when all you think about is this life. And he explains how the manna was and so forth. Verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly 
And Moses was displeased. And now Moses begins to gripe because God's given him this bunch of turkeys to run around in the wilderness and so forth. So I'll, I'll move, move beyond that and uh, look at, down to verse 31, Numbers 11. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side around the camp at, a, at a, about two cubits above the ground. Now, again, you'll recall that a cubit is the distance between the longest finger and the tip of the elbow, roughly 18 inches. So two cubits times 18 inches is 36 inches. That's three feet. God brought quail, and they died on the east and the west of their camp in piles three feet high. Say, well, God is so good. Well, you stick around. Verse 32. The people rose all that day, all night, and all the next day. It took them a two full days and all night and gathered the quail. And those who gathered least gathered ten homers. That was the, the least you got. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was Kibroth Hatabah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. In other words, for those who do not believe, the bread of life is not the bread of God. Return with me to John chapter 6. By the way, there is one more passage you should read. Psalm 78 details this in great detail. Time won't permit me to go into that, but I assure you that the, the psalmist is covering the exact same information. Go back again to verse 31, John chapter 6. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness that is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, God did a sign in the Old Testament. It was to give bread. And if I were Jesus, I would have said, I did that yesterday. I fed all of you with a boy's lunch. I took care of that yesterday. If that's, what you're, if that's what you need on your checklist to believe, I did that. You should believe. But they don't believe because they're looking for something else. But what God intends to give them is not more human bread, worldly bread, fleshly bread, not giving them bread made from wheat, but rather he's going to give them this bread that will satisfy them for eternity. The bread of God is not the bread of life because for these people, eternal life is not the point. Let me say that again. The bread of God is not the bread of life because for these people, eternal life is not the point. Let me say this a different way. If you're here today and you claim faith in Christ, remember this, that this life is not the point. Whether you die in the wilderness, hot, tired, burned up, so to speak, walking and walking and walking, but in the will of God, or whether you die in Egypt as a slave with pots of meat and bread to the fullest, whether you die in either one of those places, the question is not where you die, how you die. The question is whether or not you have any 
promise of eternal life, whether you have any hope of life beyond this life. You may live a life of pleasure, and you will still die and stand before God. You may live a life of suffering, and you will still die and stand before God. The question is, are you prepared for eternal life? Jesus is the bread of life, not the life of this world as the world expects, but rather the life that is to come. He is the bread of eternal life. For those who do not see the bread of God is not the bread of life. You say, well, why do these people not believe? Because they don't want what you want. They don't see what you see. They don't know what you know. They don't understand what you understand. They don't feel what you feel. They don't care about what you care about. This is the work of God. This is the work of spirit. How do you make someone spiritually hungry? You don't. But for those of us who are spiritually hungry, understand that we will not be satisfied by the things of this earth. All of us enjoy a good meal. All of us enjoy multiple good meals. All of us would rather live by pots of meat and bread to the full rather than walking around in the wilderness. But ultimately, no matter what God calls us to do and in, with whom he calls us to live and serve and work, God intends for us to keep our eyes fixed, not on this life, but on the life to come. One day, we won't be hungry again. And it won't matter whether you had pots of meat or walking in the wilderness. On that day, what will matter is whether or not you have tasted the bread of life. So I urge you today to consider your relationship to God. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you understand? And what do you believe? Let's return to verse 29. They ask him in the previous verse, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to know how to please God today? Believe in Jesus. Trust him with all your heart. Follow him. Obey him. Cling to him. You say, well, I don't really want to go in the wilderness. Well, who does? But we may walk in the wilderness. We may. Because our God is the God of the wilderness. As much as he's the God of pots of meat, bread to the full. He's the God over it all. And in the end, we can't judge the goodness of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God based on worldly measures. God will feed us in this life. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. These things being food, shelter, and clothing, which he's already talked about in the preceding paragraph. You hungry? Follow God. You thirsty? Follow God. You need a place to stay? Follow God. You need a job? Follow God. You need more of what this life can give you? Follow God. Look to God. Hope in God. Trust in God. Believe in God. God may give you those things today. He may give you those things next week. He may give you those things in a far distant time that you wish weren't so distant. But God has promised to shepherd his children, to care for his children. 
For those who don't believe, the bread of life is not the bread of God. But for those of us who do believe, the bread of life is the bread of God. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the work of God is that you believe in him. So I urge you today to give your affections to God. Give your affections to Christ and to follow him. We're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Our deacons are going to serve us. I'm going to dismiss them. They can go and begin preparation. The rest of us are going to pray together. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. Father, our ambition this morning is to be hungry for the bread of life, to be hungry for the bread that truly satisfies, not as the world gives, but as you give. Father, give us grace, much grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the bread of life that promises not just your shepherding in this life, but more importantly, shepherding in the life to come. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that not even death shall have its way over us. We are thankful that in Christ we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we pray, God, that our lives might reflect the kindness of God and the goodness of God as we embrace the Son of God. Thank you, Father, for this bread, this bread that comes from heaven that satisfies our soul. We love you today. Help us to follow you and trust you in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.